Now, I've got to share with you before we get started this morning that uh, they do a lot of shows, and a lot of them are Elvis impersonators. And I have to remind them, we don't need a lot of shaking going on. So just, I just have to remind him that, where do you, there he is. <laughs> now, it's a, it's a joy to have him in our church and to be a part and so forth. If you will, get, the Bible, get your Bibles and turn to Colossians. Now, I also must admit that the, I guess you'd say the inspiration of this passage today, the message today, is the lady sitting right over here that we just recognized her birthday coming up Tuesday. I've been here a little over four years now, and I can honestly say I don't believe I've ever met a more godly person than her right there. I've met a lot of good people. I don't mean to cut them short by any means, and there's a lot sitting in this room. But Miss Utana is one of the godliest individuals I've ever met. Miss Utana, I say that with everything I've got. We love you to death around here. Happy birthday to you on Tuesday. But there, go ahead. We can, it don't have to be her birthday today. But <laughs> She's got her whole family. Well, I don't know about your whole family. Probably not, is it? I didn't, I didn't think it would be. But it. Uh, she's got a lot of her family here, and we're glad to see them. And I know... Without a doubt, they probably feel the same way as what I just said, but she's, she's a good one. We need to keep her around. Chris reminded me just a minute ago as the choir was coming down that on, what was it, Chris, on our church? What? Miss Yutana was elected to the first services of this church to be our church pianist, and she still plays it to this day. That's pretty good. I just, <laughs> but we, we love her to death around here, so y'all going to have to share, us, share her with us because we don't want to get away anywhere. But really, this is a, a lot of her influence, and you'll see why in just a moment. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 12, and let's read these verses together. Paul's right on to us. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word? For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthening, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. For all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has, a, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we come today at this service, and Lord, we thank you for bringing each one of us together. But Lord, we do thank you especially for Miss Utana's life and what she's meant to so many over the years, and, and the dedication and consistency she's shown, and just... Lord, she's such an example to all of us, regardless of what age it may be. We thank you for her. We thank you for her family. We ask that you give them traveling mercies as they return back to their homes. And just watch over them, Lord. And that's, Lord, we just ask on Tuesday that you would just bless Miss Utana with a great, great day. Because we know the work that she's done for you for many, many years. Thank you, Lord. Go with us now the rest of our service. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We tend to be all, we all be very busy nowadays. 
exerting a lot of energy. But what's the purpose of it all? You're probably busier today than you've been at any point in your life, perhaps. But what's the point of it? What is the purpose of us being so busy and running crazy and, I mean, just here and there and to and fro and all the things that... Does your life have a real purpose this morning? We are a generation of disconnected people living within a web of electronic connectors. We have cell phones that can do everything from play music to take pictures to remind you to brush your teeth. We have beepers, blackberries, blogs, chat rooms. But in spite of all these tools to connect, studies have shown over the last few years People have never felt more alone than this. That's amazing, isn't it? All these devices we carry around, all these things we have that connect us to people, but yet most people say they're lonelier now than they've ever been in many, many years. When Americans are polled about their level of life satisfaction, one word is more frequently used than any other. They say, my life is empty. Now, the title of this message is Living Life to the Fullest. And like I say, Miss Utana was and is the inspiration of this because she has fun in life. I mean, just be around her. She enjoys life. But not only life itself, but she's enjoyed a long life. And she still goes strong. Now, it hadn't been too long ago, I guess about a year or so ago, when we changed the time zone. She came up one Wednesday night and says, well, I hate to tell you I'm not going to be able to be here anymore. And I thought, what's going on? And she said, well, with the time zone change, it's just too dark out there where I live to drive the roads. And so I totally understand that, Miss Shitana. But if you ever need a ride, call, and we'll send Rocky to get you. So it just, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We'd gladly pick her up. But I can understand that. I mean, she's fixing to be, what did you say, 25 next week, 25? And so she's fixing to be on, up there in age, and so, you know, on the, on the back roads like she lives out there, it could, it could be dangerous, obviously. But the Bible shows us how to move from an empty living to a life of fullness. And like I say, she was the, I won't say the inspiration for the message, but very influential mission, uh, uh, em emphasis upon it, because her life is... So much fun watching her. She has a good time. I don't, I don't care where she's at. Now, y'all think that Rocky speaks out loud. Sometimes she does too, though. Just keep, it, just keep it in mind. No, I'm kidding. But The Bible shows us how we can live life to the fullest. This passage we just wrote, or just read, didn't write it. The Apostle Paul was praying for these believers at this church. This reminds us how important it is for us to pray for each other that we'll constantly be remembering needs in our church and our families and be in prayer for them. I know that Miss Yitana is a prayer warrior because I've seen her many times on Wednesday night and Sunday night as she's here requesting prayer for her family or whoever it may be. I want to share with you about four areas of spiritual fullness today that you can experience. First of all, you can be successful. Now, I said it that way because, well, you'll see in a minute here. 
Walk into any bookstore in America, and you can find what is referred to as books on success, teaching us how to be successful in business or how to be successful in life or all these things. And some of them are good now. Don't misunderstand. I'm not knocking them. Uh, I used to be in the electrical business, and I traveled around, and I had to go to these seminars and so forth. And, you know, yeah, I got a lot of books. and heard a lot of stories and so forth, and it, it was good. I enjoyed it. But it's our world defines success as living in a big house, driving a brand-new car or two, having a lot of money. But in the midst of this lust for financial success, people are not satisfied. They're still not satisfied. Money does not bring you satisfaction. Money does not bring you success for that matter. They're hungry for someone, I believe, to tell them about, the, about God's purpose for their lives. Do you realize that God, no matter who you are, God has a purpose for your life today? And He wants you to live in that purpose. You say, well, what is it? I don't know. It's different for me than it is for you. I don't know what His purpose is. But I'm telling you, God loves us that much that He created us for a purpose that He's designated for each one of us. He wants us to live in that purpose. And when you find that purpose, that calling, if you will, you will find the peace of God like you've never found before. They're hungry for someone to tell them about God's purpose for their lives. God wants you to be successful. Now, I say that because it's not the way we use the word. Beyond your wildest dreams, that's his desire for us. But he wants us to define success as finding or, and following God's purpose for your life. Just think about it. This almighty God that spoke this world in existence, that hung the stars by the breath of his mouth, wants to deal in your life, wants to be a part of your life. That's amazing to me. I've shared with most of you all that I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I was in my really late teenage years before I became a Christian. And I'll even go a step farther. I had no desire to ever become a preacher. Because I had met some and I didn't like them. They were the biggest wimps I've ever seen in my life. And yet God had a purpose in my life that brought me to this place that we have. God also wants you to define success as finding and following God's purpose for your life. You say, well, look at my age. It's too late for me. No, it's not. God may have more for you to do the rest of the years than he has the beginning of the years. How do you know that? How do we do that? Well, first thing is we can let God fill you with knowledge of His will. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 tells us, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask you that you may be filled with knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, I'm going to refer several times to Miss Utana, but that verse right there almost captivates her. She teaches a Sunday school class. I don't, I don't think you've missed since I've been here, have you? Uh, there may be a day she was. I think she went out of town one time, but, I mean, she's here every week. Yes, the times come where she may not can drive at dark 
but yet she's here every time the doors open. That's what successful is in God's eyes. That she shows up and she teaches that class week in and week out and week in and week out. And that she gives herself to the classmates, if you will. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 tells us you're truly successful when you're seeking, finding, and following God's will. When you're trying to discern God's will, the most important question is not, what is God's will for my life? Because if you think about it, that's on my. When I pray that prayer, when I ask that question, then that focuses on me. The question may sound innocent, but its emphasis is upon my life. What is God's will for my life? A better question is, what is God's will, period? Let me find it and get involved in it. It may help to understand God's will if we divide it into two broad categories. That's what I was looking for. It may help us to understand it because first there's the general will of God and secondly there's a specific will of God. The general will of God is revealed in the Bible and applies to all people at all times. For instance, the Bible says this in 2 Peter 3, 9. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all may come to repentance. God has given us three, I'm going to call them lights, to guide us toward His will. They are the Word of God, the Bible. Number two, the witness of the Holy Spirit, that little small voice. If you're a child of God now, that little voice that speaks to us and says, this isn't the way you need to go. You know, I've figured out in my life, it may have taken me longer than most, but I figured out that God will speak to me and try to change my direction sometimes to, leave me on the, to put me on the right course instead of letting me veer off. I don't always listen to Him, and it's cost me over the years. Don't ever move forward unless you have these three lights lined up. The Word of God, the Bible, the witness of the Holy Spirit, that still small voice, and the wisdom of godly friends. And that's a very important one. I think we have a loving congregation around here. I think we care about each other. We want to see our church grow. We want to see our church do better in all the aspects of it. We also need to try to help each other. When we see a person of our church, and they do, get off course a little bit, we need to encourage them. We need to say something to them. We need to bring them back, if you will. They used to call that backsliding. They don't use that term anymore. But we need to correct them when we can. I know sometimes that's not possible. But we need to try to do that because there are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And yes, church members some get off, sometimes get off the tracks. Don't ever move forward unless you can line these three lights, the Word of God, the Bible, the witness of the Holy Spirit, the still small voice, and the wisdom of godly friends. Don't move off course unless those three things line up. And when they do, you can almost be assured this is where God wants me to go. This is what God wants me to do. When you can do that, you can be fairly certain that you're on course of God's will. The second thing we see, you can be fruitful. 
if you study this little short book of Colossians, you'll find that one of the reasons that Paul wrote this little book is to correct a heresy circulating in the church. This was the early church. You know, I thought that early church had all the things we need. I mean, it was just perfect church. No, it wasn't. It had a lot of problems in it. And it's the same thing today. Paul wrote this book. The reason he wrote this book was to correct a heresy circulating in the church at this time. There was a faction of spiritual know-it-alls. They thought they had the, the lock on spiritual truth. Go back and read the little book. It's very interesting. These know-it-alls were often called Gnostics. They claimed that they had discovered some deep spiritual mystery excuse me, that qualified them to be super saints. If you ever find a super saint, run from them because there's no such thing. God says we've all got sin in our lives. We're all one step from falling. We're all one step of getting off course or whatever it may be. Their biggest heresy was that you could live, that you could qualify them to be super saints. Their biggest heresy was you could live any way you wanted to as long as you asked forgiveness for it. And this was in the church, the early church. A very big, a large church, a very successful church. But we had these People, these super saints that were doing what they wanted to and telling everybody else what they should not do. See that today in our times, don't we? They even developed their own super saint club. In the church, it was for the enlightened members only. Wow, aren't we good? We know how to dress up on Sunday mornings, come down. Look at all those sinners sitting out there. Isn't that the attitudes that some churches say sometimes? Some preachers repeat that. Maybe not those words, but the same thing. Those kinds of people are still among us today. And they resist, re- represent excuse me, a risk to every church. Dr. Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite authors, here's what he wrote. Pretty much nails it on the head. In my pastoral ministry, I have met people who have become intoxicated with studying the deeper truths of the Bible. Usually they have been given a book or introduced to some some teacher's tapes or something like that. Before long, they get so smart, they become dumb. The deeper truths they discover only detour them from practical Christian living. Instead of getting burning hearts of devotion for Christ, they get big heads and start creating problems in their homes and churches. That was written a number of years ago, but I think it's still accurate today. The Bible is full of statements about the general will of God. Another example is when Jesus said, What God has joined together in marriage, let no man separate. Now, when the Bible speaks, you never have to wonder what God's will is. Because it comes out loud and clear. For instance, based upon Second Peter 3, 9, you never have to wonder if it's God's will for anyone to perish without salvation. His will is for everyone to be saved. He just said it, Second Peter 3, 9. But does that mean that everyone will be saved? Of course not. We can wish, we can try, we can work, but it doesn't mean that. 
in the same way, you never have to wonder if divorce is God's will. It never is. God's will is for every marriage to remain intact, but does that mean every marriage is going to survive? Of course not. We know that. We're frail human beings. We break. We give up. We throw in the towel sometimes and so forth. It doesn't mean that every marriage is going to survive. That's God's will that it do it. Then there's the specific will of God. That's when the will of God is applied to specific situations in our lives. Everything that happens isn't always God's will. Jesus taught us to pray. Thy will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus taught us, right? Everybody agree with that? That's God's will for us. God's will is always done in heaven. But it's not automatically, mechanically done on earth. The reason we pray for God's will to be done is because God's will isn't automatically done in specific situations unless we do God's will. We aren't left to fate and chance. God has a will, and His will relates specifically to our lives. I mean, think about the awesomeness of what we're talking about today. That God loves you so much, even in your failing areas, that He still developed a will for you if you will find it. If you will spend the time seeking for it. If you will listen to what God's saying to us, every one of us, nobody in this room is so bad that God hadn't designed a will for you. Well, maybe Rocky, but that's a, that'd be the only one. No, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But it's, that's amazing when you think of the awesomeness of that statement. Everyone, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's all, will is always done in heaven. But it's not automatically done here on earth. Why is that? Well, sometimes we don't listen to God. Sometimes the circumstance change. There's many things that could change it. We aren't left to fate and chance. God has a will, and His will relates specifically to our lives. It would be easier, especially in my case... If God would simply just drop me a note down and say, here's exactly what I want you to do. But so far he hadn't done that. And I don't think he's going to. But he's already given us the resources to find his specific will. We call it the Bible. We call it that still small voice inside of us. We call it the small voice we hear, the wisdom of godly friends. You see why it's so important to be a part of a church family? Because every one of us some days totally blow it. And you're looking at the chief one right here in this church. It amazes me how many times I have to ask forgiveness for the same things over and over. You'd think after 30 years of preaching I'd get it right every once in a while. But most of the time I blow it. Most of the time that doesn't help. When the Bible speaks... You never have to wonder what God's will is. Again, we aren't left to fate and chance. God has a will, and His will relates specifically to our lives. 
It would be easier, again, if God would just give us something. Lord, show, give me a verse. I mean, that'd be pretty easy. God, just show me a verse that says, it's not my fault. But God doesn't do that. He says, find my will for your life. But he was all, has already given us the resources to find a specific will. How does he do that? He lets God, let, let, how we do that? Let God fill you with the evidence of his personality. Colossians 1.10. So the Christian life is not demonstrated, is, is not demonstrated, not by what you know, but by how you live. We can all, now, if I were to ask a question, probably 95% everybody in this room would raise your hand and say, yes, I'm a Christian. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you letting the fruit of God's Spirit come through in your life? Because that's part of it. Filling you with the evidence of His personality. Colossians 1.10 says, Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of Him. Bearing fruit means demonstrating good works. Some of you have been in church for years. Are you letting that fruit show out of you? Is it coming outside of us? We can never judge a person on whether they're saved or not because we don't know. God alone has that authority. But Jesus said we may examine a person's life to see what kind of fruit there is. He said, by their fruit you will know them. Does that make us want to hide our fruit or get it out in the open? We have some in this room who you can drive down a highway, and my dad was this way. I mean, we can be doing it down a country road, and he'd look out in the pasture, three or four hundred yards, he says, that's an apple tree, or whatever, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a farmer, so. <laughs> and I, I, even as a kid, I remember, how can you tell? They, they all look the same. They're all trees. Or there's an oak tree, or there's a cottonwood tree, or whatever it may be. I can't do that to this day. I don't want to do that. But let me tell you what I can do. I've learned I, I'm pretty talented in this area. I can walk into somebody's backyard that may live here, and I see pears hanging on a tree. I'm pretty smart that I can deduct. That's probably a pear tree. I mean, isn't that exactly what Jesus told us to do? By their fruit, you'll know them. A lot of Christians don't show any fruit in their lives. No wonder other people aren't drawn to it. The fruit is merely an outward expression of the inner nature of that tree. Because it's a pear tree, it's probably going to produce pears. The same thing is true in our spiritual life. If you're filled with Jesus Christ, the fruit, or evidence as they call it here, of His personality will be produced in your life. Jesus' personality can be described by nine character qualities called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let me read them to you. If you claim to be a child of God, you have these qualities, period. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, I've got to be honest to you. As I was writing that list, I had to scratch a few of them off for me. 
Kindness is not always a virtue for me. Anger is more of my virtue sometimes. In John 15, Jesus taught us that he is the vine and we are the branches. A branch's job is to stay attached to the vine. As branches, we only need to be full of the vine, and his fruit will be overflowing in us. Number three, you can be powerful. Forbes magazine publishes their annual list of the 100 most powerful women in the world each year. Then they also publish the same, uh, same book for 100,000 most powerful men in the world. Every year, the lists are dominated by politicians, CEOs, billionaires, mo- mo- movie moguls. The word power has been contaminated by the way we use it to describe, to describe influential people. When I tell you that God wants you to be powerful, it has nothing to do with getting your name on the list of some powerful people. How do we do it then? You let God fill you with the strength of His might. You can be powerful by letting God fill you with the strength of His might. Paul's prayer included this request in uh, Colossians 1.11. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you have great endurance and patience. Colossians 1.11. Sometimes we think that we only need God's power for things like preaching or to be a missionary or whatever it may be, or sharing the faith or with an unbeliever and so forth. But listen, we need God's power, supernatural power, for endurance and patience. The word great is used 11 times in our word, uh, in verse 11, excuse me. The word great is used 11 times. It's our word macro. It's the opposite of the word micro. In your own strength, You can only do micro-endurance. But when God comes into your life, you can do macro-endurance and macro-patience. Let me me illustrate this by an example out of the Bible. From the life of David, one of my favorite Bible characters. David, there were times when David depended on the supernatural power of God. For instance, instance, we all know the story of David at about 14 years old, they estimated, Fighting the giant, Goliath. In fact, Carmen. Y'all remember Carmen years ago, a singer that uh, he came out with a new music and so forth. and He was real, real good. I don't know if he's still around or not. But Carmen sang a song some years ago that t- told the story and described the scene with these words. Now, this is a song. Well, Goliath was a giant and strong as a tank. And when he looked at men, their stomachs shrank. But there stood little David all alone. With faith in God, he flung that stone. And much to their surprise, he popped that monster with a stone that nailed him right between the ideas. Then he decapitated his fallen foe to make sure that he was dead and showed everyone he was someone that really knew how to get ahead. Little David needed macro power of God to kill that giant. Now move forward 40 years because the scene changes. David's life. He has established himself as a mighty king, a powerful kingdom. One of his sons, Absalom, launches a coup against his dad, David, throne, his throne. Instead of fighting his son, David leaves town with his soldiers and advisors. As he was running away, 
he had an unpleasant experience that required God's power of macro endurance and macro patience. You can read the story in 2 Samuel verse 16, uh, chapter 16. As he was passing by a little village, suddenly a man named Shemai started yelling insults at the king. Shemai said, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have, resi- have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you're a man of blood. 2 Samuel 16, verse 7 and 8. Now, how would you react if someone started insulting you in front of people? If you was with your friends and somebody come up and just got in your face and started calling you all names, honestly, I'd want to go over and knock a knot on their head right there at the place. I'm not the only one that feels that way because we find the words of Abishai who was like secret service agent for the king. Here's what he said in 2 Samuel 16, 9. Why should this dead corpse curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut his head off. Now, he was the right kind of thinking for me. But that's not what David did. David's response was with God's power. Leave him, uh, this is in 2 Samuel 16, 12, and 13. Leave him alone. Let him curse. It may be that the Lord will see his distress and repay me with good for the cursing I'm receiving today. So David and his men continued on the road while Shemaiah was going along the hillside opposite, his, opposite him, cursing as he went, throwing stones at him and showering with dirt. Now remember, He's a powerful man. He could have stopped that pretty quick. But David had learned his lesson after many years. It took at least as much of the supernatural power for God of God for David to restrain himself in that situation as it did for God to give him the power to slay the giant. You see, it doesn't matter how much God's power you have. A little bit's all you need if you'll just do what God called you to do. You and I will probably never be called to slay a giant, with a slingshot especially. But you can count on meeting people, someone, who will walk up to you and insult you because you're a Christian. Well, isn't that nice? I remember when I was a young Christian. Just so happened, Judy's brother, we were working the bus ministry of a church. And we were out in an area of Fort Worth called Samson Park. This is a true story, as God's my witness. We were visiting house to house and inviting kids to ride the bus and come to church and so forth. We went to this one house and started walking up and saw that he was under his car, working on his car. He had one of those creeper things, I think you call it. You roll out from under it and so forth. And we, we told him who we were and so forth, and he rolled out. And he was a big old guy. He was not looking very happy, nor did he look like he wanted to be very happy. We were too, we weren't, we're still teenagers at this time. And we said we was here to invite him to such and such church and so forth. And he come out and he had a wrench that long. And I thought he could reach both of us on one swipe. And here's what he said. I don't need your God. I don't want your God. In fact, if it was up to me, if Jesus would come back to the earth, I'd nail him to the cross myself. We were both stunned. I think we exited pretty quick that, that house. I've never had anybody say that that blatantly. 
That's serious. But this man hated God so much, I believe he would have done it if he'd had the chance. Now then, let's close up. You can be joyful also. Before Jesus was crucified, he said in John 15, 11, I have told you these things that my joy may remain in you, that your, jo- that your joy may be full. The word full is the same word Paul used in his prayer. Are you full of joy this morning? Seriously? You don't, nobody else knows. Just honest, answer yourself. Are you full of joy? Notice I didn't ask if you're happy. Joy is not happiness. Although they are related, happiness depends on your happenings. If somebody were to walk up today after church, God bless them and give me a $100 bill, I would be happy. I would be real happy. But it's not that my joy depends on that. When your happenings are unpleasant, you become unpleasant. But our joy is based on in Jesus. The joy of Jesus will determine your responsibility to adversity, not merely measure it. How? Let God fill your gratitude for his goodness. You can be joyful. How? By letting God fill you with gratitude of his goodness. In Colossians 1.12, we see how it's expressed. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. A joyful heart is a thankful heart. Self-centered people are never grateful. They're sometimes grateful. A joyful person is constantly thanking God and thanking others for helping them get to where they're at in life. Many people are filled with bitterness instead of being joyful, even many Christians. In December of 2005, in Rhode Island, a lady by the name of Barbara brought home four dozen small clowns for dinner. Her husband, Ted, began, I think you call it chucking them, don't you? Is that the right word? Chuck? Okay, that's what they are. I thought I'd heard that somewhere before. I'm from Texas. I don't know what clams are. Ted started chucking them, but while he is preparing the water, Ted found one clam that looked to be misshapen, and he started to toss it away because it looked deformed. But something told him to open it, even though he knew they probably wouldn't be able to eat this clam. Inside that clam was an extremely rare purple pearl. Experts have told them that its value could be over $250,000 and possibly as much as $1 million, depending on the final bid. Since finding that pearl, Barbara and Ted have devoted almost all their time and money to that pearl. They have shown it to jewelers around the world. Their lives have literally changed because of it since they found that little pearl. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus spoke about another man who found a pearl of great price. It also changed his life. He sold everything he had and bought the pearl, and it became the primary asset of his life. I have found also a pearl of great price. 
Oh, it's not worth $250,000 or anything like that. But I found Jesus one of these day, one day years ago. And folks, Jesus is far more valuable than that pearl that that lady found. That's what Jesus is to us. You don't have to strive to be successful or fruitful or joyful. You simply have to seek to stay filled with Jesus Christ. Are we doing that today? Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time as we come to close the service. And, Lord, we just thank you for the day that we've experienced. Lord, we do thank you for Miss Shetana and her part of this church and the history of this church in so many ways. And even still today that she participates and does things. And, Lord, we just ask you that you'd give her a special birthday party. But, Lord, I believe with all my heart if you would talk to her and she would just be able to tell us, she'd tell you, yes, she's successful. Maybe not the the way the world says it, but she's got good people around her. She's got a church home. She's got all friends. But, Lord, more than that, she's got Jesus in her heart. Thank you for them. Let them have a great day today as they celebrate her birthday coming up Tuesday. Just bless them this time. And especially bless her for the blessing she's been to so many. Go with us these next few minutes as we have this verse of invitation. We won't tarry long. But this is for your, this is your verse. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.